are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, go ahead. Have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, one last time in our series through the book of Hebrews. So here we are. Uh, by the way, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'd love to, to the chance to get to meet you sometime soon. Um, but here we are in, the, in our study. In August, we began our preaching series in the book of Hebrews. Bill kicked us off. And today, today, we bring it to a close. And over the last 17 weeks, we've seen over and over, we've seen the glory of Jesus revealed through these pages in some really beautiful ways. If you think back to chapter one and our very first lines, we saw Jesus as the final word of God in these last days. We saw him as the creator of the heavens and earth, whom angels delight in and worship, right? And then in chapter two, we see him as the pioneer of our salvation, made perfect through suffering. We saw him as the one who frees us from the fear of death. In chapter three, he, we saw him as the superior to Moses, just like a a son is superior to a servant in, in a household. And I could, I could go on chapter after chapter, right? Chapter four, a sympathetic high priest who made a sacrifice for us and, and can, can know us and sympathize with us. Chapter nine, I'll skip down. Chapter nine, the final sacrifice to put an end to all sacrifices. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is done. It's fulfilled in Christ. It's over. No more blood will ever be shed, have to be shed in order to make us right and clean before God. Chapter 12, we just saw that he's the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and we, over and over, we saw Christ on full display, right? And so here he is, you know, here's, the author is like, he's wrapping this up. We believe that the book of Hebrews was a, a sermon manuscript, and there are a couple of hints throughout the way, like pr- probably because of the way that it's structured, but even also, if you remember back in chapter 11, he says, you know, I don't have time to talk about Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, Probably because it was a sermon. He was writing this, he wrote his notes for a sermon. Anyway, he takes this, he, he, he was sending this manuscript as a letter now to this little church in Rome, sending it to them to encourage them. He's wrapping this up. He's at the end, he's saying, okay, I've said all I can. I've taught them, I've urged them, I've rebuked them, I've encouraged them. What, maybe even who, is going to help them stay strong, stay firm to the end? And, and you're going to see in the passage that we're about to read, you're going to see this, this language of, of strength. You're going to see language of firmness. You're going to see language of endurance. And it's, it's kind of, it's athletic language. Um, have any of you ever thrown out your back, like really bad thrown out your back? Anybody ever? I, last year, yeah, somebody, thank you, you rose his hand for him. Yes, he doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> last year, Kelly and I and our kids, we moved three times in, in one year. I don't ever want to do it again. I don't ever want to move again. But we moved from Philadelphia to Thunderbolt, stayed in Thunderbolt for a few weeks before we moved to Wilmington Island and had a lovely little place in Wilmington Island. And then Kelly started praying, Lord, would you please move us into the city, everything is in the city. We want to be near the, the church. We want to be central for the church family and for our kids, our school, things like that. So God answered her prayer and we moved from Wilmington Island to Kensington Park uh, last spring. There were times where my back was shot. It was done, right? And I was, I was reading this online. I was looking up National Institutes of Health catalogs 
how, and some of you probably already know this, I'm just a little slow on the uptake, where if you're having lower back pain, lower back problems, do you know what the solution is? It's, it's actually, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's not to strengthen your back. Do you know what it is? It's to strengthen your abs, your core. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I, after that, after moving a couple of times, I started working particularly on, on strengthening my core. And in a way, what, what's happening in this passage is kind of, it's fascinating because he's using this like athletic language. And, it, and, it, and if you remember back to, in fact, turn back to chapter 12, verse 12. I mean, it's right there for many of you who have your Bibles right in your laps. Just look at verse 12. He says, this is athletic language, right? He says, lift your drooping hands. Man, do you ever see a runner who's just absolutely spent, tired, it's the middle of the summer or whatever, and their hands are just kind of, He's like, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, tighten up, right? Like suck in your core, tighten up, strengthen your core. In fact, right now, in your seat, right there, right now, do it. Flex your, flex your like, like starting with your, your abs on the top by your rib cage, like flex your, strengthen, tighten your core, just for a second. Tighten your core, give it a squeeze, that's what, he's, that's what he's saying in this passage. He's like, I'm going to send you off. These are my last words. And I want to make sure that you're going to be able to run long, run hard, and endure. How are we going to do this? I'm going to give you five elements, at least what I see in this passage, five elements to put steel in your spine, five elements to, to engage your core, five elements to strengthen your core. That's where he's going in this passage. So let's look together. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and following. I'm going to intentionally leave off the closing words. His benediction is going to be our benediction at the end. And his closing words, I'll leave off. Uh, chapter 3, verse 7 to 17. He says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here have we no lasting city. I love this verse. For here have we no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I'll stop here. This is our word for this morning. So, five elements to engage, to strengthen your core, to help you to run 
with endurance to the end, with your eyes fixed on Christ. Number one, element number one is faithful examples to guide us. Faithful examples to guide us. And you can see this pretty obviously in the text right there in verse seven. He says, remember your leaders, those, <coughs> pardon me, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the way he talks about these leaders, the way he talks, like the language that he uses, he's speaking in past tense in the original language. It's called the, the past perfect, meaning that these leaders are actually leaders that are no longer around them anymore. Uh, they used to be there. They used to be leading. They used to be teaching. But then he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. He's talking about the end result. It literally means the, the going out of their life. So it could mean that he's talking about leaders who, like older saints who have passed away. Or it could mean that he's talking about leaders who once were part of the church, <laughs> who have like wrapped up their time. Maybe they've gone off to plant another church somewhere else. We don't know. But either way, he's saying, listen, keep on remembering them, right? And, and what does he say? Consider the outcome of their way of life, the fruit, like the fruit that their life produced. Look at the wake behind them. Look at the fingerprints that they left behind. Look at, and, and the result of their faithfulness. Look at their friendships. Look at their families. Look at the, like the, the gospel culture within their home. Like, look at that. Evaluate that. Kind of press into that. And, 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 and peer into that. Consider them, right? Remember them. Look at the kind of grace culture that, that they were surrounded by. Were they perfect? No. They're not, there is no perfect leader. There's no perfect pastor, no perfect elder. He's not looking for perfection. He's asking, did they, did they model the gospel well, right? Did they know how to repent? Did they know how to use the tools that the gospel gives us to live lives of freedom and forgiveness and restoration and redemption? That, that's, that's what he's asking. But there's a bit of a, it's interesting, there's a bit of a nuance here that I think is really important. Look at what he says in verse seven. <coughs> Pardon me. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Do you notice, he doesn't, he doesn't say imitate their behavior, like imitate their conduct. Do the, like pick up on some of the things that they did and do those things, right? He says imitate their faith. In other words, like what was their relationship with the Lord like? What was their, like, what was, tell me, tell me about their, their heart for Jesus. Did they love Jesus? Imitate that. Did, did their love for Jesus shape the way, shape their attitudes, shape the way they responded to people, shape the way they, they, they spent their days, their mornings? Was that, how was that shaped by their relationship to the Lord? I want you to find that. That's the core. Imitate that, right? And here's why this is important, because a lot of us have people that we look up to. A lot of us have people that we admire and we think, man, I want to be like them. I want to, I would really love to be like them someday. And so we'll kind of, we'll watch, right? Like we'll stand back, we'll take notes, we'll watch. But we'll pick up on, sometimes we'll pick up on some of their, the other things. We, we will imitate them. We will mimic them. We will parrot their words, but not necessarily actually become the person that they have worked hard to become. Right? So, for instance, like I, when I was young, I was really impacted by a, a teacher, a preacher named John Piper. I know a lot of you have heard of him. Um, one of his books, Desiring God, 
for a young, I grew up in the Catholic Church, a young man who had this view of God that, that thought God was always angry with me. I, I, I was motivated by guilt. And th- this book just wonderfully set me free, his teachings. I, so I started like, listening to him a lot. And I thought, man, what a great preacher, what a good pastor. And so, and I started to pick up on some of his mannerisms, right? If it was, which was ironic. Like if I, if I wanted to become like John Piper, I would say, okay, well, I would, then what I should do is I should do the things that John Piper did. I should go to the schools where John Piper went. I should study like John Piper studies. I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to like pick up some of the isms and mannerisms. Like, like and some of the, this is, this is true of us in the church all the time, right? Where we will, we'll be looking around and seeing somebody that we really admire and think, oh, I like the way they... You know, he uses the word brother when, he ta- when, when he's talking to people here at the church all the time, all the time. Hey, brother, how are you doing, brother? Hi, brother. Good morning, brother. I'm going to start, so I'm going to just start, then you, all of a sudden you start saying brother, brother, hi, brother. Hey, brother, yo, brother. All the time. You start mimicking, because that sounds kind of holy. It sounds really Christian. And so you start picking up on some of their mannerisms, but you're not actually becoming the person that they're becoming, right? We do this. So he says, he says just be careful. Don't just parrot don't, don't mimic their, their behavior. Mimic their, what does he say? Imitate their faith. What is it, what is, what is it their engine? Like what's fueling their engine? What lights them up about Jesus? And what does their relationship with the Lord look like? Imitate that, right? So, faithful examples to guide us. Number two a radical reputation to define us. A radical reputation to define us. Now this, one's, this, this part of the passage is a little thick, but beautiful. So we're gonna slow down here a little bit and look at verse eight and following. He says, Jesus Christ, and I love this. Jesus, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as much as I would love to nerd out right here and stop and nerd out about the co-eternal Son, the second member of the Trinity who is co-eternal with the Father from before time began. I got, it would be really cool to, to go there. That's not his point. That's not our point. What he's saying is, listen, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Their love for this Jesus. And this Jesus is the same Jesus, the same for them as he is for you. They lived faithfully to the end. You can too. He, he is still, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still available to you. Verse nine, do not be led away then by diverse teachings and, or strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. In other words, don't be drawn back into the Jewish traditions and like food laws and ceremonies and stuff like that. And don't be like lured away by people who are trying to like syncretize and synthesize like the God, well, I, can, I think we can make this work. We can hold on to some of those traditions and still follow the gospel by having this mix. He's like, just don't. Don't, try to, don't get lured away by this stuff. What's going to strengthen your court is the gospel. It's grace. It's grace. This undeserved love of God, this unmerited favor of God on you. You don't deserve this, but you have this. Preach this gospel to yourself that God loves you even though you don't deserve it. And he's forgiven you, even though you've done nothing to earn it. It's done because of Jesus Christ. Preach that to you. That's what's going to strengthen you, right? Then he goes on, verse 10. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, that's the tabernacle, have no right to eat. He's talking about the priests, right? 
The priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat from our altar. Verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. This is hard. This is a hard teaching. Because what, he, what, he, what he's talking about here, he's talking about, he's obviously talking about the, the, the tabernacle and the priesthood. And he's making a comparison and a contrast here. And he's saying, listen, I mean, on one hand, the priests did have a right to eat from the sacrifices. That's how they would eat. That's how they, that's, that's the food that was provided was the sacrifices. They would stick a fork and whatever came out, that was theirs to enjoy. Except for one sacrifice. One time of year, on one day of the year, there was one sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. When the high priest, who was the representative head of all of Israel, would put on his hands, had put his hands on the head of that sacrifice and, and in a representative way place the sins of all the people on that sacrifice, they would, the blood would be shed in the temple and then the body would be brought outside the camp and removed, and like in a way to say, like, get away from us. Our sins are, are gone. Like, this is disgusting. This is reproachable. We want this away from us, right? We want this removed. In a very similar way, Jesus, his blood was shed. He was whipped, scourged, sh- bleeding inside the temple, in the courtyard, blood, and then br- dragged out of the city, cast out outside the gate. Get away from you, disgusting, reproachable thing. And, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying, do you see what's happening? That's our savior. He's a reject. We are a people of the reject. Sometimes Christians work so hard to be cool in our culture. And, and the writer of Hebrews is like, <laughs> let's put this on straight. When you, when you said, when you, when you saw and accepted and understood the grace of God for the first time, what you said yes to was following the reject, right? I think of 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, you have come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, Right? But in the world's eyes, loser. We are the people of the reject, of the loser. If you look back at chapter 11, they got this, right? If you, if, if you think back to some of the stories that we heard in chapter 11 where he was going through these accounts of faithfulness, one after another after another, it says in verse 13, he says, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. How could they be so faithful? Because they, said, they knew this world is not my home. Right? It reminds me of that great old spiritual. This world is not my home. Finish it for me. I'm just a passing through. Have you not heard this? That's a great, all right, you gotta, I, maybe next week I'll uh, ask Gardner to throw one in there. Verse 14 in chapter 11, he, said, he starts talking to us. He turns, the, he turns the focus and he starts talking to us. He says, people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And it's not, it's not Kensington Park. 
It's not Skidaway Island. It's not Thunderbolt. It's not Pooler. Right? We are, we're, we are just passing through. We are strangers and exiles. And there was a, this mindset that captured the early church. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's us. Stay on track. Like, st- keep this course. Kelly and I, we went to, Kelly and I met at Moody Bible Institute where we studied. And our college president, his name was Joe Stoll at the time, uh, he once told this story of a missionary couple that was on their way home after 20 years on the field. And he said this, he said, on the boat on which they were traveling home, there was a U.S. ambassador who had been in the country for just a few weeks, indulging himself in high living and high spirits. The boat landed, and when the ambassador came down the ramp, a crowd of people surrounded him with cameras and microphones pointing at him from all directions. And the missionary and his wife came down off the ship, and they had to push and weave their way through this thick crowd. No microphones, no cameras for them. Nobody even came to pick them up. And in the midst of all the commotion, the woman turned to her husband and began to cry, and she said, years. Our entire adult lives were spent in that country. We should be getting the recognition, not him. And the man looked at his wife, tears flowing, and said, honey, we're not home yet. All right, so how, how, the question the author would want to ask us is, how invested are you in this world? Do you handle your money in such a way that, that proves that God is your treasure and not your money? Do you, do you treat your home, decorate your home, welcome people into your home in such a way that proves that this is not your home? How do, you, how do you handle the stuff that you have? How do you steward the stuff that you have knowing that you're, gonna, you're here for a blip and you're headed somewhere final and real and significant? Um, we traveled up to Kelly's family this past week in, in Charlotte and a comment that was made because somebody forgot something, one of our, our youngest child forgot something at home and it kind of triggered back this memory of, of times when we have traveled with our kids in the past and have forgotten their blanket? Have, has this ever happened to any of you? I see, I see some nodding heads. And you know, as soon as they, as soon as they said, as soon as your, your child says, oh, I forgot my blanket, you know, oh, it's, there's gonna be like weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is gonna be horrible. And I'm gonna have to convince this child, you don't actually need a blanket. Like, the, the, it's, it's worth, you can't, you can't reason with a child, right? And just uh, talking to them about the way the human body works and how sleep happens and, like, you don't need a blanket to fall asleep. That doesn't make sense to a child. But they need, like, they feel like they need this. And that's why we call it, we call it, what? We call it a security blanket. Because it gives them this sense, it gives them a sense of security. It gives them this, this sense of, of wholeness, of protection, Right? What the author is saying is that the world, to many of you, to many of us, myself included, the world can be like a security blanket. It has no real substance. It has no real ability to to genuinely protect you. 
Right? We saw this in chapter 11. Like, what's the, wor- the worst that the world can do is kill me. That's, and that's okay. Like, I, that's, it still doesn't affect, that's just my body that can take. We don't fear that. So he's saying, it's time for those of you who are immature, stop clinging to the world like babies cling to a security blanket. Let it go. This world is not your home. Live in such a way that you, this is light and free. And you don't care, in a way, you don't, you're not consumed with your finances and your retirement fund and your, you know, your, your job. Like, yes, you need to provide for, yes, you need to be responsible. It's a much different playing field at that point. You are stewards of a temporary thing. Taking what you've got for the moment to glorify God as best as you can. Much different mindset. So, a faithful, faithful examples to guide us. A radical reputation to define us. A better home to welcome us. Number four, a sacrifice to compel us. Look at verse 15. A sacrifice to compel us. He says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. One of the really beautiful things that he does here is that he, I love how he does this, he elevates the things that, that otherwise seem like just utterly mundane and normal, everyday stuff. He, he elevates them to this place of holiness and, and sacredness in God's sight in, in a really appropriate way, right? He, like he, they were so used to, the, the people that he's writing to, they were so used to all of this beautiful, Ritual where they, they would see they would see men in robes and these adorned hats like bejeweled and all incense and everything was proper in its place and certain songs were sung at certain times and everything was not like to them that felt holy and awe inspiring right and now he's that all of that is gone he's saying that that pointed to something that pointed to someone it pointed to my son Jesus and he came took all of that sacrifice, took all of that ritual, fulfilled it completely. It's done. It's over, right? So if you think about it, in the Old Testament, there were two different kinds of sacrifices. There was a sacrifice for sin, and then there was a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And you would always take care of the first one first, right? You would, you would, go, you would go to the temple. You would sacrifice on behalf of... You would, you, would, you would acknowledge your sin before the Lord. You would sacrifice for your sin. You would come clean, oh, and you come away from that th- saying, thank you, Lord. So then you would offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to him. And he's saying, from now, there is never, ever again will this ever be required. My son is enough. He has paid for it on the cross. And if you have put your faith and your trust in him, you, not a single shed, and not a single drop of blood will ever be shed to pay for your sin. You will never have to do anything. You'll never have to like repent a certain number of times or, or pray a certain number of prayers or do a certain number of things in order to pay or be made acceptable in God's sight. You are, if you've placed your faith in him, he looks at you and he sees Jesus and he says, awesome. This is, this is my child whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He sees that and he says that of you. So now, as a result, when we get that, with like when that truth sinks all the way down, what, it, what happens is our hearts understand how awful we were and still can be how much we've been forgiven and still need to be, how much Christ has accomplished for us, that churns up in us hearts of praise and thanksgiving and, and adoration. And, and that's why this is the only sacrifice that's left. So when we see how generous God was with us, 
we want to be generous toward others. When we see how God welcomed us, we want to welcome, un, welcome in others into our homes. Like he talked about at the beginning of the chapter. When, when we see how much God has forgiven us, we want to be relentlessly pursuing broken relationships in our lives in order to, to forgive and be forgiven of, with other people. And that like, it cultivates this. That's, and that, he's saying, that's holy. That is acceptable. That's the, the beautiful offering to God. It's a heart that responds, that, that reverberates back the grace of the gospel. So, one practical, practical application of this would be when we gather on a Sunday morning, sing. When Gardner says, hey, let's stand up and sing, one practical application would be sing. Actually sing. Some of you, I, it kind of breaks my heart. So every once in a while, I'll stand in the back or I'll just watch. And I'm, sometimes I'm just praying over you. Sometimes I'm looking and just seeing who's here. And, and sometimes I see some of you guys, especially, I, I, I'm going to pick on the dudes for just a second. A lot of you dudes sit there, arms crossed or arms, hands in your pocket, and just not sing. And if you're here and you're just exploring Christianity, I, th- then I'm glad you're here. You're off the hook. I'm not talking to you. If you're here and you are in Christ and you know what he's done for you and you can sit there with your lips sealed, shut, I'm sorry, but what are you, what are you doing, right? Do you know what he's done for you? Can you, can you not just sing? I remember when, when I was young, I'll just say, my dad is a terrible singer. I know, dad, I know you're going to watch this later. I'm sorry. My dad is awful, at singing. He cannot hold a tune, and he knows it. He knows it. So there's no, I don't, in a way, I don't need to apologize. We laugh about it. He laughs about it. He says he's singing in tune. It's just not the same tune. (laughs) But one of the things, I'm going to get emotional saying this. One of the things that I loved when I was young was looking, I can remember when I was short, I would look up and see my dad, and my dad would just be eyes closed, belting it out, annoying everybody around him probably, right? And I loved it because my dad was singing to his savior and he didn't care what he sounded like, right? He was singing. When, when, we, when Gardner says, get, hey, let's get up and sing, you guys sing because of what he has done for you. Give him that sacrifice of praise. Open your mouth and sing. So... What has he given us to strengthen our core? Faithful examples to guide us, a radical reputation to define us, a better home to welcome us, a sacrifice to compel us, and lastly, leaders to watch over us. Leaders to watch over us. Look at verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. These are, not, these are strong and not very popular words, right? Especially for us who are Americans. America, I mean, we, we as Americans are like, we're like, we're a nation built on rebellion, right? It's in our DNA. And th- there's a bit of a hoorah kind of, a, like, we love, if you, if you can do something to protect our liberties, we love you. If you do anything to, to encroach upon my liberties, I get up in arms, right? Like, that's, that's what it means to be American. Anything that enhances our individual individuality, we love and laud and celebrate. So... So when we read this, obey your leaders and submit to them. What's unusual is that there, there is a word for submit 
that's used frequently throughout the New Testament. It's not, this is actually not the word that's used most often. This word literally means to relent, to be persuaded, which is, which is interesting. It applies a willing acceptance of their leadership, the leadership of these leaders that are over you. Some translations in your laps actually say have confidence in or put your confidence in. So submit. It's a military term to recognize, in other words, to recognize their rank and to willfully place yourself under it. Sub obey your leaders and submit to them. In other words, when we, agree, when, when we agree with them, we obey. When we disagree, but if they are in the Lord, in their authority, in, the, in, in, in their full rights to speak into our lives, we submit when they speak to us. By the way, at CBC, this is how we, this is how we do it. The words elder, pastor, and overseer are the three words that are used in the New Testament. And this is seen really clearly in 1 Peter chapter 5, where all three of those words are used to describe the same exact office. So there is no distinction between elder, pastor, overseer. It's all the same. We're all the same office. So, so our elders like Charlie Amon and Jay Jeter and, and, and Brad Cook and myself and uh, Tom Stevens, Tyler, we are... We are all, in God's eyes, and Scripture's eyes, we are, we are the same office. There is a distinction at CBC. We make a distinction between those who are governing elders and those who are teaching elders. And, and even the Scripture says, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who teach. And that's kind of the distinction that we make at CBC. So we've got all of our, all of our elders are all together, and then there are some who are on staff and paid to teach and to preach and to handle the word of God in the various ministries of the church. So, so one other practical application of this is church membership. I want to get maybe awkwardly direct here with, with some of y'all. He says, watch, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. This, this word watch over literally means to stay awake, to stand watch, as if to, like a night guard. When others are relaxed and at rest, there are, there's somebody watching out for you. And that's the, that's the idea that is captured here for your elders, your shepherds, your pastors. It's our job to watch out the unflagging vigilance of a shepherd at night, someone who loses sleep over you and loves you and cares for you and is going to sacrifice of themselves in order to do for the family, in order to do for the sheep what the sheep need, what the church needs. So the keeping watch, and over, keeping watch over what? The keeping watch over your souls. And, and in other words, elders are not organizational leaders who are making decisions about buildings and properties and finances and budgets, right? They're, they are soul physicians. We are soul physicians. We are spiritual leaders. Elders, if you're in this room, or pastors, if you're in this room and, and listening, if someone asks your wife, hey, what, is it, what does eldership look like for your husband? Would your wife answer and say, well, he leads other people spiritually. He, 
he does, like he goes to, like spiritual warfare is a regular part of what he does, fighting in prayer and fighting through the word, like teaching and, and discipling and admonishing. Like that's what he's, or, or would your wife say, well, he goes to meetings a couple times a month and makes decisions. Like, right? Like that's, like this is a challenge for us who are elders and shepherds. This is what it means. What it, our job is to sacrifice, sacrificially lead you. Our job is to lay down our life in order to give you what you, not what you want, but what you need in Christ and to point your hearts in the right direction. So why? Why are they doing this? Because they will give, he says, they will give an account. When the end of time finally arrives, I and, and I, will, I will tell you, I have lost sleep over this. When I, when, I, when I think of some of you and what some of you are walking through and going through right now, and the way in which we are trying to care for you and move you in the right direction, and trying to help you see the freedom that the gospel can bring, one of the things that makes me lose sleep is this This truth, that someday I'm going to stand right next to Brad Cook, right next to Charlie Amon, shoulder to shoulder with these men, and we're going to have to give an account for, for, real, for your souls and the way that we led you in the gospel to the grace of God, to the holiness that we were called to pursue, the holiness that you, are, you have the power and the ability to pursue if you, were, if you submit and obey, right? And so, so this is this passage in, in some ways, this is wonderfully, I think, appropriately haunts me. It, sh- it should. If you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a shepherd, it should. This should weigh heavy on us. But then if you're a member, there's responsibility for you too, right? It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, because that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, be a great member. <laughs> Don't be the kind of member that would make your elders groan. Be, a, be an awesome member of this great local body of believers. How do we do this at CBC, by the way? We, we, we do this through church membership. And some of you, I know, some, somebody's gonna send me an email or come up to me afterward and say, there's church membership and it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. And you're right, okay? Let me just give you this point already. I'll concede. It's not. It's not mentioned in the Bible anywhere, ever. But the principle the principles of loving one another, being accountable to one another, exhorting one another, those, those are all over Scripture. And you cannot, I will, and I will argue this vehemently, you cannot apply those principles well. In a church of our size, there's no way that you'd be able to apply those principles well without some kind of mutually agreed upon set of expectations. For you to say, hey, I see what you're doing, I see the mission that CBC is on, I love it, I'm on board, I agree with the gospel, I agree with what scripture says, I agree with your take on these particular points of doctrine and theology, I see the mission that you're on, loving Savannah, wanting to reach Savannah, yes, I wanna link arms here, I'm in. And for us to then to say, okay, I see, you you agree, we agree, like you're a believer, we affirm your salvation, we wanna care for you, we will agree to sacrifice for you, to love you, to care for you, to go out of our way for you. There, there's got to be some kind of agreement there. Because otherwise, if I'm, if I'm going to stand before the throne someday to answer for the souls at CBC, 
If I'm one of the elders, one of my questions is, well, who? Who is that? Is that anybody who happens to be here this morning? Maybe you're a one-time, first-time guest and a one-time guest. We don't, I don't know. Visiting family from, for, for Thanksgiving. Or, or somebody, maybe somebody who's been visiting for, or a guest for three weeks, for three months, for three years, but has still not agreed to link arms. Who, who are we accountable for? I think the cleanest, the clearest way is to say, like, let's, let's have an agreement and say, do you commit? Do you, sub- do you commit to obeying and submitting to this leadership? If so, we commit to caring for you. That's church membership. By the way, our next start here class is coming up January 28th. You can sign up right now. If you are not a member of any church, and I'm not saying this to serve CBC, if you're not a member of any church, but you claim to follow Christ, let me, let me just shoot straight with you here. I don't understand what you mean to say you f- you're a Christ follower if you don't follow Christ in this and submit and obey the leaders of a local church. And if you have not said, you are my leaders and I'm submitting to you and I, I'm, I'm gonna obey you and I'm asking you to care for me, to watch for me, to watch out for my soul, to keep me accountable, to love me well enough to speak hard truths in my life when I need it. If you, if you are a follower of Christ and are not a member of a church, how do you apply this verse in good conscience? I would, I would challenge you. So, Submit and obey. He says, obey your leaders, submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So here he is, just, just, like, a, just like we said at the beginning. He said, okay, if you wanna, <clears throat> if you wanna strengthen if you want to run long and healthy, you've got to, you've got to suck it in. You've got, to, you've got to engage your core. You've got to strengthen your core. What are some of the ways that we can do that? Faithful examples to guide us. A radical reputation to define us. A better home to welcome us. A sacrifice to compel us. And leaders to watch over us. This my friends, is the, the book of Hebrews. He does close out with a few more words, basically saying, say hello to this leader, to that leader. It's kind of like his very way of saying, say hello to your mother for me, all right? He kind of closes out his, his letter. And then there's a beautiful benediction, which we will reserve for our benediction in just a few minutes. Will you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, thank you for being the great shepherd for, for, for not just being the example of the kind of shepherd that, we, that I want to become, that, that, that we need here even on earth as we, as we follow faithfully after you and as we submit to our leaders, our shepherds, but for providing every good thing that we have just read through as far as example and reputation, our better home, that you have gone on ahead of us to prepare for us, a sacrifice that you led the way in and this overwatching care for us. It's you, Jesus. It all points back to you and it's all because of you. So I pray now, even now, as we, as we lift our voice in praise to you, may our hearts be so captivated
by what you have done on our behalf. I ask this in the name of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen.